how can I work jobs that teach me skills that can then be parlayed into another endeavor down the road? That was the philosophy and the wealth mindset that I had moving forward was I need to acquire skills at a rapid pace. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. My great to us listeners, if you want to manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial cap and gain taxes. One option that may help solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax-deferred real estate exchange. Because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes, and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches involved with being an active landlord. Ray DeWitt is a managing director with Bantanger Financial Services, and his goal is to help you understand all the rules associated with the 1031 exchanges. To learn more, visit their website at bantangerfinancial.com and browse the library of education material. Please be sure to see the disclosures and show notes. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today, we're going to be talking to a young gentleman, Dane Larson. Dane, how are you, buddy? I'm doing amazing, Socket. How about yourself? I'm super pumped talking to you about right now, man, because I know your story. We've talked several times. I know we roam around the same circles. Your story is super inspiring, especially at the age, I won't give away your age, but a very young age, what you're trying to accomplish and what you're setting your goals to. It's very inspiring. So thank you for being you. Thank you, Sock. And I'm grateful to be here and share the story and get to have an awesome, candid conversation today. Awesome. And I love the candid conversation. So Dane, before we go into what you do and what you're all about, I have a question. When you hear the term migrate to wealth, what does it mean to you? Migrate to wealth, to me, means that you're fluid. You're always open and you're always asking yourself questions. I think that for me, it's always changing drastically. In a way, like a salmon swimming upriver, upstream to spawn, they're not swimming in a straight line. It's back and forth. You're dodging with the current. You're dodging debris flowing down the river. That, to me, is what wealth looks like, the journey. It's not a destination by any stretch of the means. Right. Now, that's good. So let's talk about the term wealth itself. What does it mean to you right now? Wealth to me right now means optionality. And I say that because I actually had a gal come up to me after a recent talk that I did asking what freedom meant to me. And Mm -hmm. freedom to me is choice. It's the situations that you put yourself in that allow you to have choice and you're able to make a decision based on your current circumstances. So you don't have a third party, you don't have an external force swaying you in a different way because you're pigeonholed, whether it's a job, your health, or a certain hobby, a relationship, to make a decision. You have options to choose from that some may be better than others and some may be a little more detrimental depending on where you're currently at in life. So you think wealth for you is freedom of choice? 100%. It's the freedom to choose what you want to do, when you want to do, who you want to do it with, and all of the above. Yeah, no, I agree, man. I completely agree. So let's actually reflect back because you're still in your 20s. When you were 18, when (laughs) the whole world was very different at that point, I'm assuming, what was the definition of wealth at that point? I'm assuming (laughs) it was more monetarily. I don't want to assume that. Why don't you just tell us what it used to be? Wealth... I would say is artificial status. <laughs> yeah. I would sum it up as artificial status and socket. I'm sure you could agree with this is whether that's looking at your bank account, whether that's looking at your social media account, whether that's mm-hmm. looking at your relationships by a numerical sense rather than qualitative sense. <laughs> yeah. To me, it was artificial 
in what I believed wealth to be. It really was. Yeah. And was it pretty common around that? Have you ever thought about why was it very status driven? I think growing up in an age of technology drove it and accelerated it Mm -hmm. to be status driven, where you would see other 18 year olds getting signed on to a division one college offers, they're receiving endorsements, they're receiving celebrity endorsements. Mm -hmm. So you have someone that you're comparing yourself to, even though they might be thousands of miles apart. Yeah. And a quote always rings to mind from Teddy Roosevelt that comparison is the thief of joy. So with that being in mind, I think we're seeing that a lot today in the younger generation that people are comparing themselves and it's a direct correlation with their lack of true joy that they see and live. I know you're different from your peers. You're different from me when I was in my 20s. So I know that for sure. I can't speak for anybody else, but I can speak for myself. (laughs) What changed from you from being status driven to now being freedom of choice driven? What changed? So I always heard people talk about how you have to think about your future. You have to plan, Mm -hmm. you have to prepare retirement, retirement, retirement. Mm -hmm. And the one point that I can pin down where that shifted for me was nearly losing my life in a car wreck because I was in such a dark place at that time that when that instance occurred, it completely broke me and sort of bottomed out in a way then allowed me to go onto the trajectory that I'm currently at today in terms of trying to better myself, better my skills, improve my relationships, constantly improve my connection with God and those that are around me, Mother Nature. So it wasn't until that point where everything felt like it was taken away that I had everything to gain at that point. Could you take us back in time? If it's too hard for you emotionally, let me know. We can always shift gears. But could you take us back in time? What happened when you say car wreck? What was going on? I had finished up my first year of college. I ran into a season-ending sports industry in this injury in basketball. I'd ruptured my femur, ended my basketball and golf career in college. And I ended up moving back home with my parents. I wasn't really doing much. I was playing video games a lot. I mean, when I say a lot, I mean hours and hours on end. It's sickening. Looking back and thinking about the time that I wasted. Yeah. And I was out with a buddy one night going hunting and we were turning into a field when there was a flash of light and a large crack. And all of a sudden, we're getting thrown into a ditch. We'd been T-boned by an intoxicated driver going 70 miles an hour. And he had wedged his vehicle underneath our truck and launched us into the ditch, nearly missing a telephone pole. And I was lucky enough to walk away. But I'll never forget riding home in my father's truck after he came and picked me up from that car wreck and thinking to myself about how pity it was that I was wallowing in my pain of losing this truck that I had just purchased this vehicle. My emotions were so tied up in this vehicle (laughs) that I wasn't able to see or be grateful to be walking away from that wreck to where I could be in the hospital. But instead, I was going back to my own bed, giving my mother a hug saying goodnight to my little brother. It was so self-inflicted that I completely changed from that point on. I'm going to ask you to wait for a second because that's a very powerful moment, which you said in a very simplistic manner. I'm going to go back. So at that point, you had a sports injury, which basically took you Mm -hmm. off of the field. And you decided to leave the college and move back with your parents. Is that what happened there? Correct. And that's because you can play. I'm assuming you had the admission was based on you being part of the sports 
Is that how it was? Exactly right. My okay. identity was fully wrapped up in sports. And I would yeah. say school wasn't even on the stove at that point. It was off the burner. It was sitting on the counter next to the stove. Got it. No, I think that makes sense, man. That makes sense. And thank you for being honest, man. Again, at any point, it becomes too difficult for you to have. Let me know. We can always shift different path. So I'd love to share. With you at that point, I'm assuming you were at your emotional lowest. I mean, there's only 100%. two reasons somebody would play a video game. One is going to be they love playing it, which it doesn't seem like you did. You're playing it to sort of forget about your life, right? Forget about everything else. Okay, so from that moment, mm -hmm. you had a car accident where, thankfully, you walked away from it and you were alive and kicking. What happened at that moment, which was very powerful, is what you were describing was you were not thankful of being alive. You were more upset that you lost your truck. Mm -hmm. When did you realize that you should be thankful. Did somebody have to tell you that? Like, when did that switch happen in your, mind, in your mind where you were saying that my identity was so bound up, wound up in that truck that I forgot that I'm alive? It's crazy to think that it was a complete nudge. Whether you say it was spiritually, emotionally, whatever it was, it was a complete nudge. I'll never forget that night driving home in my father's truck looking at the moon. The moon, it was probably a quarter of the way up in the sky. And I thought to myself, I may not have <laughs> seen that again. <laughs> that may have been wow. the last time I saw that moon. And from that point on, is I was still in tears thinking about it, that I could have lost everything. Very powerful. It's thinking back and being grateful for those that have served this beautiful country that have given their lives. And to have yeah. been so caught up in my own pleasures, I would say, to not even consider that, that someone would give their life to be in the shoes that I'm yeah. at currently. I won't call it pleasures. I think there's probably a different word for that. And I don't know what the right word is. But I think you're comparing it to sacrifice that they have done versus what you thought meant a lot right. to you and you didn't accomplish it. Be it sport, be it now the car. You, know, you, you can go on the negative spiral down, which all is going to be my life sucks because whatever right. I want to do is taken <laughs> away from me. Right? That's one way to look at life. And the other way to look at life is I'm alive. I'm breathing. I'm with my dad. Journey continues. Journey continues, right? And you can buy more truck, hopefully a lot more than what you had at that time. <laughs> now help me understand, now you had a major shift in your thought process. Take us back to that point, man. Yeah, you're thankful, you're crying. So sometimes mm -hmm. these moments of changes, these moments of thoughtfulness, they don't last for too long. That mm -hmm. you forget after day two, day three, day four, within a week, you're like, okay, I'm back to how can I buy another truck? But in your right. case, you stuck with that feeling. A, it was very mm -hmm. powerful because I think not a lot of people here have lost, at least being very close to losing their life but you were almost there. So that in itself was shifts, right? So I think part of that is, which I think reflect, so I'm going to take you back at the age 18. You thought you were immortal, right? You thought nothing bad could happen to you, right? that you have 100 years or yeah. 120 years, which is so long to even imagine, it's never going to happen to you. So how old were you when that accident happened? I was 19. 19. After you're finishing your first year of college, you're still the whole world is open to you. Like you're full of, making your dent in the universe, whatever that meant at that point for you. Right. And all of a sudden, that's taken away from you to the point that you could have died. And this is my own theory. I don't know if that's right or not. So I would love to kind of bounce it out, out of, off of you. I think it's the moment of immortality that changed you, right? That you realize that you're mortal. You realize your time on this planet is limited and whatever has been given to you is actually a gift. And you were not you as, when I'm saying you, it's a metaphorically you, not just you. It happens right. with everyone. I think it happens in most of us. It happened to me as well. 
now you're now realizing, okay, now this could happen to me. How do I want to live my next 80, 100, 200, how many hours you have left? What are your thoughts on that theory? How were you thinking at that time? And now that at least several years have passed from that, how do you look back at that incident and make sense of it? It forced me to reflect. It put me into a state of mind and a state of belief that caused me to reflect and think from an introspective standpoint to where I wasn't looking at external things. I looked inward. So instead of looking out, I looked in a mirror, looked at myself and figured this is where it starts. It starts with me. You know, Dr. Jordan Peterson says, you can't change the world if your own front porch is unclean. Mm -hmm. And to me, that means that you have to start by improving yourself if you hope to improve or help others. And so that's the standpoint that I took from there on out was starting to change myself and to change my beliefs because my beliefs are a direct reflection on what happens in my life and how I react to that. And that's, I would say, arguably is 90% of the journey is how you react to things because you can't tell. That's the only certainty in life is that there's going to be uncertainty. Correct. But let's actually be a little bit more tactical here. So you walked out of the car accident, you had a life-changing event, and you had a moment of spirituality, which is all good. What did you do immediately? Right? Kind of like, yes, that's great. All that happened to you. I mean, not great isn't great. No one should have to suffer what you had to go through because the outcome may not have been worked in your favor. But in this case, it did, right? Right. So how did you make sense? Like, what did you call your mom? Did you call your pastor? Did you call, who did you call (laughs) to make sense out of what you were feeling, right? Because you've lived 18, 19 years of your life or 18 and a half of years of your life, approximately. You've lived your life with a whale in front of you, right? There's a fog Mm -hmm. where you didn't want to see clear. Most of us, again, lived that. So in that moment of rude awakening, if you've never been introspective, this moment is going to not make you introspective. Because somebody has to mm-hmm. ask you, hey, you know what, this is how you ask yourself a question. And maybe you're different. I'm just thinking about me, if things that happened in my life, there have been guides, there have been mentors who have kind of helped mm-hmm. me, coach me to think in a certain way, take, make sense of these events. So what was the right. immediate step that you took? I'm not going to believe this socket. And I haven't told you this before, but it was actually the next day I went to my next door neighbor, the one who I bought the truck from two weeks prior. Mm-hmm. And I apologized. I said, I'm so sorry. I totaled your vehicle that you purchased custom made and it's gone. But I'm lucky to be alive. I told them about how I was conflicted with that purchase because it was either purchasing the truck or continuing to save up for a house. And I said, maybe that's God nudging me in the direction of a house. And he mm. goes, you know, Dane, it's really funny you say that. I've had an extensive career in the real estate space from an investment perspective. I've built many colleges around the world. I've done a lot of investments and I'd love to chat with you about that. Wow. It led me to my very first mentor, Mr. Bruce, who has taught me so many invaluable lessons from the investment space all over a car wreck. And I call him the grandfather I've always wanted. Yeah, (laughs) He's shared so many lessons with me on his journey from studying under Charles Oppenheimer to studying under Frank Lloyd Wright and all these amazing individuals that he's been able to translate into his own business and relationship. So that's that, amazing. from a tactical perspective, completely shifted me towards that direction of investments, investing in myself, mm-hmm. but also in real wealth. What made you go apologize to him? I had to convince him to sell his truck to me. <laughs> ah. So that was originally what it was, selfish, because I was sorry that I just totaled this truck two weeks later after purchasing it. 
selling him, I should say, on me purchasing that truck for probably two or three weeks prior to that. Yeah. And the reason I asked this is because I'm trying to always figure out why people do what they do, right? Kind of like, <laughs> not a lot of people are going to go apologize for the truck. Right. And that happens in our day-to-day life, right? When the deals go south, I'm not going to go tell my mentor that I'm sorry the deal didn't work out. It didn't work out, then right. we'll go on, we can jump on the next deal, and then next mm-hmm. deal up and up and go. And even if the seller, we convince the seller to sell it to us, sometimes you don't even pause to think that, hey, you know what, that seller did this to us, right. and we couldn't make this deal work. We owe them yeah. a response. I mean, that speaks highly of you, Dane, because I'm surprised and amazed, and I'm glad. All these mixed emotions where I'm like, you're such at such a tender age of 19, 20 at that time, you had such amount of maturity, but you always had the maturity. You probably had the facade around you of right. you want to be the next millionaire. You want to be the next billionaire. You want to have the best sports car, whatever the vision of yeah. your life at that time was. But you had the sense in you to kind of go back to it. And I think that one step, the car wreck opened you up. But I think that right, one step right. of apologizing changed everything about your whole mm-hmm. trajectory, I'm assuming. No, I completely agree. The seed needed some water so it could sprout. Water yeah. came and thankfully the seed sprouted and it's been growing roots ever since. <laughs> That's amazing. Now let's walk to the other side of your life, right? Now you found your mentor for real estate. What makes you go with, right? So you're thankful, right? which is all good. What he was talking to you about, why did that resonate with you? What part of it resonated with you? He was vulnerable. So it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows in his lessons that he would speak to me about. Mm -hmm. It was everything. It was the trials, the tribulations, the successes, the failures, the triumphs. And he spoke to how each thing was interrelated. So I got the why. And I Mm -hmm. think that was most important. Is he not only taught me the what and the how, that's so small. Those are small potatoes. You can find that nearly everywhere. But he related the why to my experience of where I was at in that time. He walked backwards in his life to meet me where I'm at today. Yeah. So he wasn't speaking from the position that he was currently at, retirement, the gentleman's 80 plus years old. He spoke to me back in his 20s, in his mm-hmm. 30s, and his 40s, and related those lessons to where I was at today. So he tapped into comparison mindset that we have as humans yeah. to help me and guide me through what I was currently experiencing and how that can be utilized today. Wow, man. Such a powerful lesson. Such a powerful way of mentoring. Yeah. Man, I can only imagine the amount of years you're going to put, decades you're going to put on your life. And then with that much amount of maturity and that much amount of guidance that you have received, that's amazing. Now, are you still working with him? Oh, of course. It's invaluable, the relationship that I have with Mr. Bruce. He truly is a third grandfather to me that I'm so blessed to have in my life. It's really surreal, I would say. Yeah. So now, how has your life changed? So let's think about that moment. Mm-hmm. Now you're in your 20, 21-year-old. You've spent a few years with Mr. Bruce, with your mentor mm-hmm. at that time. What was wealth for you at that time then? Because before it was status, right? Now you right. walked away from <laughs> death. Now you had a pivotal moment <laughs> where you have the glimpse of now, one could argue you could still achieve that status at the 21 because now you've figured out a formula on how to get there outside of sports, which was your ticket before, but now it's something else, right? So what was going through your mind at that time when you go back in time and think about, was it freedom at that time or was it something else? After closing the door to that chapter in my life, what opened up the next door was skills. Mm. He gave me the recommendation of reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. 
And the one thing that stuck out to me in that book was working to learn versus working to earn. A lot of people start out their careers with the dollar in mind. They chase the dollar. They work to earn. But how can I work jobs that teach me skills Mm -hmm. that can then be parlayed into another endeavor down the road? So that was the philosophy and the wealth mindset that I had moving forward was I need to acquire skills at a rapid pace. And I need to understand when enough is enough for a skill and move on to the next one and which skills complement each other. Because I think socket, this is one thing a lot of people get wrong in the traditional school sense is that they believe they need to be a specialist Mm -hmm. in the sense when it comes to skills that you only need one thing. However, like anything in life, things compound. So one plus one plus one plus one does not equal four in skills. One plus one plus one equals 11 when it comes to skills because you're able to move up in the ability to take on tasks at a much more rapid pace Mm -hmm. and see those returns at an even more quick pace with those skills available. So that to me is where things changed. And it changed to, again, thinking introspectively and then taking jobs that taught me skills versus just chasing the highest dollar or the best benefits. That's awesome, man. And I think it's, again, the life lesson that you're learning right now, man, at such a young age, I think that's going to compound by the time Mm -hmm. you're even close to my age. Hopefully, it's going to be way better than that. Now, let's think about that, right? So you got the skill, the bug of skills, which is great. Right. Now you're looking for your next level of advancement, and you're now marketing, doing marketing for Chris Martinson, who I admire a lot for Peak Prosperity. I think he's one of a phenomenal guy. Right. researcher at heart, teacher at heart, through and through a great guy. So what made yeah. you join him? It was the same things that I saw in Mr. Bruce. Chris offered me a different perspective on life in terms mm-hmm. of playing offense versus playing defense and how at this stage of the game where we're at markets and whatnot, Warren Buffett always talks about how rule number one, don't lose money. Rule yeah. number two, don't lose money. <laughs> rule number three, don't forget rules number one and two. Yeah. So with that in mind, Chris opened me up to a whole new world of thinking via a framework on how I can view the world. And like you mentioned, he's a teacher at heart. And that's what drove me to work with Chris and to be able to provide to this endeavor that Chris has with trying to provide people the most accurate information to make the best decisions that they possibly can and become more self-sustaining and free. So Dean, let's talk about that. And I love Chris's message. I love the work he does. Mm -hmm. What is the message? What is that framework? Are you allowed to share? Of course. It's viewing the world in eight forms of capital compared to one form of capital. Like Mm -hmm. you talk about all the time that there's more to life than just the currency that you trade in. The US dollar, the British pound, whatever it is, there's more to it than just that. That you have to follow the money because the money will often teach you the motive, whether that's the motive of the people or the motive of the system. So if you can follow the money, the money goes where it's treated best. And so from looking at it from that standpoint, I've been able to track how things operate and how I can position myself at a younger age mm-hmm. to be ready for what's coming down the pipeline, whether that's obstacles or opportunities. And I would say that that's really just the general framework that I've gleamed thus far yeah. up to this point that has really impacted me the most. Let's go deeper. Are you able to share that eight forms of capital? Oh, of course. It's in the book, Prosper. I'm probably going to butcher most of them right now. Uh, So you have the financial capital, you got your spiritual, 
you have your material capital, you've got living capital, there's the time capital, knowledge capital, as well as spiritual capital or cultural, mm. which is relationships. Right. So those would be the eight forms of capital that everyone has available to them. It's all about knowing thyself and knowing where you're strong at and where the weaknesses are. We don't have to have the exacts because I think the book is beautifully laid out. I have that book. Mm -hmm. I actually have a signed copy, which I've cherished throughout my life. It's a great book. When you look at these eight forms of capital, is Chris, and I know the answer, but I want you, because you're working closely with him, are we talking about balancing like a perfect harmony among all eight capitals? Are we talking about prioritizing one over the other, or is it sequential? How are they interconnected? Yeah, I think it's natural, especially to this audience being investors and entrepreneurs that you have to know your strengths and play into those strengths, but you also have to understand the weaknesses and how can you mitigate the downside of things. I'm a personal believer that there's no such thing as balance. Mm -hmm. There's always seasons of life. You go through winter to come out of winter into spring, summer, fall, so on and so forth. And so understanding that, you're able to tackle these forms of capital to give yourself an understanding of where you're strong at and lean into that because other people are weak in those areas of mm -hmm. capital. And you can provide opportunities for them to strengthen their lives in return for them strengthening yours because maybe they have something to offer that you do not, whether that's they have access to a farm and you can get your mm -hmm. living capital from those in the form of food or they have some skill and they're strong in the knowledge side of things regarding yeah. how to fix a house. And maybe you're not, maybe you're really good at, or you have connections to a lot of relationships. So you're... Mm -hmm emotional capital or cultural capital is very strong and you're able to trade with that person to strengthen both up. As the saying goes, a rising tide raises all ships. Yeah. And that is 100% true when it comes to the eight forms of capital. Let's make it real for the listeners. So um, let's take a hypothetical case. And I'll take me. In my 40s, I am working in tech. I'm making a lot of money, upwards of four or 500K, which is by any standards, a lot of money because that all depends on where your eyes are at. But that's a different question. It's still a lot of money. What do I do? How do I even explore about where my strengths and weaknesses are? What's the framework to look at that? Let's use me as an example. If you were in Chris's shoes and I was asking you as a question, hey, I, I have all the money I want and I can always get more. I understand your framework as well, but where do I begin? This it's, could be a very daunting process, right? To understand, first of all, understanding eight, and for someone who has never introspected and never asked these questions, you could get answers that you're not willing mm -hmm. to handle or able to handle. Can we make it a little bit more step one, step two, step three? I'm going to caveat it before you even answer that question. This is just a discussion. Don't make it as a prescription that step one is always step one. We're basically giving you, <laughs> we're troubleshooting my life as we speak. And it's a hypothetical yeah. life. I don't work at the tech anymore. I used to. So it's a hypothetical life, but it's pretty real for a lot of people, right? So yeah, let's think about that, Dane, if that's okay with you. No, let's do it. I'm going to relate this to my exact story because I was in the same place and I still am. Perfect. And Perfect. where my strengths are, where my weaknesses, and how can I outsource those weaknesses? For me, the step that I found the most helpful was running my life through various scenarios. Mm -hmm. It was like a science test. So I was constantly stress testing where I was currently at, okay, what if this happens? Mm -hmm. What if the US dollar loses value? What happens here? Do I have precious metals to hold me up on the back end? Do I have skills that I can trade to become more resilient in that sense? Or 
I would ask myself, I mean, an example of 2020, what if the supermarket begins to dry up mm-hmm. and you're not able to get the same food products that you were once able to? Yeah. What's going to happen here? You know, the toilet paper is all gone. Are you going to yeah. be okay with using leaves? I mean, it's not like that hasn't happened before. It was just three years ago where we had this issue with shelves being bare. Mm -hmm. So what's not to say that that can't happen again? And what's not to say that this very complex supply chain does not break down? Yeah, Because it's only been around for 50, 60, 70 years. It hasn't been around the whole time humans have walked this earth. So it's stress testing, theoretically stress testing my life to understand where these weak spots are. And if I'm okay with those, am I okay with the fact that there's conflict in Europe and the thoughts of possible nuclear are on the table. Am I okay with that? Do I need to have some sort of downside mm-hmm. played out in my head or my situation or build the relationships that will help me with this? Or am I okay with that and I can shift focus onto something else? So it's the theoretical, scientific, analytical perspectives that I can place on my own life to see where I'm currently at and if it's something that I need to really dive deeper into. That would be my first step if I were to have to go back through and do this all over again. So I love that. However, most people don't think like that, right? For most people, the world's not ending. The US currency is not going down. For most, I'm not saying it's true or not. That's a completely different conversation. So what you're speaking is that the world's going in a certain direction. There's no certainty that's going to go that direction, but there's a probability, right? And in your mind, you have to weigh the likelihood of that happening is basically how probable that event is. Even if it's 1%, right. even right. if it's 0.5%, it's still a likelihood, right? And then you have to figure it out and try to streamline K through 12 your framework. So what we're saying mm-hmm. is that whatever events are happening in your life and whatever your life is dependent on today, and we'll take a simple example, gas. What happened to Europe when uh, Russia turned off the gas pipelines, right? Very simple example. Now, it doesn't mean that it won't happen to us or will not happen to us. Now, you're using that as a proxy of Mm -hmm. if you were in that situation, what would you do, right? Right. So I think your framework is that and try to get a sense of what's happening around you and figure out if you were to put yourself into that situation, what kind of capital do you have that you can depend on? Because at that point in Europe, if you don't have gas, you're not running. Your supply chain is down. You don't have food, you don't have water, you don't have anything because everything is run by that, right? And of course, that's an extreme, but what we're saying is think about that extreme. Don't think that it's not, it can't happen to you. It may never happen to you and that's okay. Yeah. What if it happens to you? Are you prepared? Are you ready? And are you willing to accept that for you and your loved ones to bear the consequence of that? That's just a way of asking the question. It doesn't mean that go into a depression, that world's going to end tomorrow. That's not what Dane and I are talking about. Dane, is that correct? Yes. And I would actually go a layer deeper there, Socket, and say that this is also the same for success too. Because everyone is familiar with failure, but they're yeah. not familiar with success. So a lot of people, I think, hold the glass ceiling over their head because of the uncertainty. The uncertainty scares them. Whether they overtly think that or covertly think that, the uncertainty will scare them. So thinking about what if this succeeds, what's the next problem or what's the next thing that happens? Mm. And am I okay with that? That's something to consider as well. And I've thought about that immensely. And my journey to try to help younger people live a more deliberate life is that, am I okay with being 
pop, like familiar with a lot of people and to have my story out there in the world and to no yeah. longer have a sense of privacy that maybe I once had. And if that's the sacrifice I have to make to help one, two, three, four, five people live a more deliberate life, I'm willing to pay that every single day and twice on Sunday. That really is what summarizes it for me on both ends of the spectrum, both the positive and negative. And I think positive and negative is only a label that we have created internally. It's yeah. neither or, it, it just is. That's how it is. So it's I, your job to react. If I may change that a little bit, Dana, let's have the thought mm-hmm. experiment. So I think what you said was yeah. very powerful. But I think what we're asking the question is not what if you're successful, what's going to happen? I think the real question there is, what is the price of being successful, right? And are you willing to pay that price? Like in your case, let's say you were able to touch 10 lives and making up a metric for you. I don't know what your metric is. You wanted to touch 10 young lives. The question you're not asking, what happens after I touch 10? Will I change my mission or will I go after 100? Will I go after a million? Will I go or completely change my mission, right? That's one way of looking at it. And that's also another framework. But I think what you're really after is for me to even touch one person's life, I have to give up my privacy. Am I (laughs) comfortable with it? Am I going to do that? And that's where your test of mission happens, right? If you're really mission-driven and you're not willing to give away aspects of your privacy, you can still maintain some. But if you're not willing to share the story about you having in a car wreck, right? There have been episodes which I've not published where this person was in, when I ask these questions, they go into an emotional wreck, right? Which is because they're now back into that moment, which I can appreciate because I've been kidnapped at gunpoint. So I completely understand these events. You have a PTSD for these events, right? You don't want to go back in those moments. But if now you're Mm -hmm. telling the story, you're going to relive that moment. The more people hear it, the more people may see you, the more they're going to ask you this story. And you can't lock that story out of your life anymore. I think that's what you're after. That's what you're saying that for you to be successful, what path that you may have to take, you may, because it may not get you there anyways. So now you've just shared your story and it didn't get to you. Now you have to go pivot, right? Which may always happen. So that's what you're asking is, what's the price of being successful? And what's the price of the world events not working in your favor? Yep. I mean, you and I want to have an impact, but what if the US doesn't have gas tomorrow? There's no impact. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there's a different kind of impact at that point. Everything's yeah. going to shut down. I mean, the internet is going to shut down. So yeah, what are you going to do? Should. We have to figure out a different way of having an impact. Way to impact may mm. change, but the essence of you may not change. Right. It's an opportunity cost. It's really what it is. If right. you're doing X, what would Y look like if you had that time and energy to do that? Because time and energy is the really only limited resources that we currently have at our fingertips. Right so, now. Dan, when you, you came to know about this framework, what was going through your head, man? Like, I was a consultant in the past. This is how I'm built to think. I've been trained to think like that. For my client, for mm-hmm. myself, I've been trained. But for someone like you, who is not a consultant, who had led a very different <laughs> life, we're definitely not trained that way in our schooling. Our schooling system doesn't train us no. to think like that. Goodness, no. How did you wrap your brain around it, right? Because it could be overwhelming. Like, Direction. I don't know what's going to happen. So what was going through your head? How did you make sense out of it? It was rejection at first. I think like anything, it was the body rejected it, the mind rejected it, but it kept knocking on the door. And I think after I grappled with it for quite some time is when it finally sunk in. And there was a feeling of relief because it became familiar, I believe. Like anything, the unfamiliar is so uncomfortable. And it's what causes, I would say, the majority of people to stay stagnant and to not move. 
And to me, I didn't want that to happen. So I valued the ability to maneuver, whether it was positive or negative. I needed to constantly be moving like that salmon up a stream. I had to be moving because I needed to learn. And the only way to learn is by doing. You can only read so many books, listen to so many podcasts, watch so many YouTube videos. The ability to act will pay off a thousandfold compared to anything else. What is one resource that you would recommend, Dane? One resource that I would recommend in terms of just starting. I mean, any of the books that people recommend on various podcasts people are listening to, it's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, it's The Atomic Habits by James Clear, it's Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. It's studying something that piques your interest. This isn't school. You're not being forced to listen, read, or watch any of these things. That's the beauty of it. Let your passion be the compass and guide you to wherever it is that your journey leads. So don't think that it has to be stagnant or pigeonholed into one area of life. Bounce around, experience a bunch of stuff. That's Mm -hmm. what Chris has always told me. Just do stuff because you find your way in the doing. No, I agree, man. I think part of that is at some point the learning has to stop, which is if Mm -hmm. all you're doing is learning, you're not learning. You're learning as to Mm -hmm. translate into some action to get some feedback yep. out of that, right? One book I would definitely recommend is Chris Martinson's book. And I'll tell you why. This is not a pitch for him. But I think first you have to grapple. And he's talking about eight frameworks. If his book doesn't resonate with you, which I highly doubt, but if it doesn't, pick a book that can mm-hmm. give you a framework of life and then right. start following different books and see which framework. So Rich Dad, Poor Dad is probably going to fit in your finance the most mm-hmm. and your freedom the most, right? So it's kind of like your, maybe a spirit, maybe a relationship, but it's probably going to hit the most amount it is. I need to change how I look at money, right? right? If you look at now the creature from Jekyll Island, it's going to change everything about you. We haven't talked about <laughs> that book. No, it's, it's a big read and it's a very heavy read. I think you look at Atomic Habit is going to be across all different frameworks. I think first of all is figure out a framework for your life, whatever it is. Like for me, it's five dimensions. I always say people work in five dimensions, which is your mind, your body. And I'm a man of oversimplification. I'm not as smart as Chris and I don't claim it to be. It's your mind, your body, your relationship, your money, and your impact. Simple. Five dimensions. If that framework works, great. Pick a framework Mm -hmm. and figure out whatever book you're reading, whatever life experiences you have, which vector of your life is being impacted? Do you like that vector? And do you see a trajectory going forward in that vector in a direction that you like? Doesn't mean it's the right direction or the wrong direction. You have to answer that question for yourself. Is that the vector you want to go with? And if you don't like it, Mm -hmm. change it, right? To your point, it's not school anymore. No one's grading you. There's no pass. There's no fail. If it works for you, do it. And if it doesn't work for you, change it. Life's too long, but yet too short. So you have to figure out no, how to make it more exactly. effective. Yeah. How do you think people could benefit with their relationships on the relationship side of things? Because I've noticed and I've talked to a lot of people mm-hmm. that have felt disconnected and their dialogue has also been disconnected to where they just don't feel very fulfilled. I think the relationship is really more about, I like how you asked me the question. I love it. I thought this was my show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, genuinely curious, because it's something. Yeah, I think relationships are a reflection of you, no matter what relationship you go in. So, for example, Bruce, I will take Mr. Bruce as an example for you. If you approached him with, you gave me a crappy truck, I don't like you anymore, I'm done with you, it's your fault the truck is gone, you could have approached him like that, that the truck slid, or the lights were not clean, you didn't clean your headlights, whatever. You could have picked a reason, right, to blame him. 
your relationship with him would have been very different. Doesn't mean Bruce's suck. Bruce is still the same guy. But you approached with more humility, more vulnerability. You were open with him. He opened up, which is exactly what every relationship is, be it your most intimate relationships, be it your business relationships, be it your relationship with your dog. It's really what you give. If you don't know who you are, you can't build a relationship, period. And I know you don't know this story about me because you haven't talked about it. I spent two years with monks in India. Back in 2008, me and my wife, we basically sold everything. We're like, you know what, except a few rental properties that we kept. And I don't know why we kept them, but I'm glad we kept them. So don't ask me why we kept them. Something told us, let's just keep it. Minor details. Minor yeah, minor details. details. You never think about it like, I'm glad we kept it. Anyways, the whole <laughs> path to that was, we didn't know who we were. We were thinking about whether we want to have kids or not. We still don't know who we are, but the path that we went on was, before we bring another thing in our life that we can't return, there's no return policy in kids. So you can't do anything. Once you bring them, you bring them. That's it. They're staying with you. For most cases, other ways to do that, but hopefully not. We're not doing that. Once you bring them, you're keeping them. That's for a different show. That's for a different show. Yeah, that's for a very different show. Man, it's going to go in a direction that we don't want to go. I think the whole thing is you can't raise a child if you don't know who you are. Mm. Your relationship with a child is going to be very tense. It's going to be very stressed. You want when they play, you're going to get annoyed that I'm not doing your work, or if you're making a sacrifice because of them. You're going to hold them accountable. You're going to blame them. We've seen that record play in everyone's lives, right? All of us have suffered it, either to our parents or friends or somebody. We've seen that relationship play out. So I think to your question about how do I look at relationship, I think first of all, be it business or personal, you have to look inwards. You have to look inwards. You have to ask the hard question, do I like who I am? Before you blame others. And I know it's easy to say when you're calm, when all of us (laughs) are in the agitated state, that question goes away. But that's when you build the muscle, right? That's how you build that muscle saying, when you're calm, at least be honest with yourself. When you're in this calm state and you're agitated, you may lose yourself. But you know, the other part is which we haven't talked about it is the definition of commitment is never to give up, even if you fail. So what if you thought you wanted to be a person who never got agitated and you got agitated again? What does that mean? That you suck now and you're always going to be agitated? No, you dust it off. Take a day, take an hour, take a minute, whatever time it takes you. Go back to being the person that you like when you're calm. And eventually it'll become a muscle memory. And maybe some may take two minutes, some may take two years, some may take two decades. We don't know. The journey is ever going to be different. But until you're able to address that, every relationship you're going to go is basically going to play out the same way as everything else in life has been, which is going to be eventually your true self is going to sabotage that relationship. You're going to find a way to make it unhappy. Because your true self is, oh, is going to play out. That's how I, I look at it, man. I've been married too long, I guess. That unless you <laughs> fix that, you can't fix anything. I love that. And it's always so fascinating to me how this stuff interrelates. I think of money yeah. in the same way. That money is simply a magnifying glass on the oh, individual. definitely, man. It definitely. magnifies you. If you are someone that has poor morals... It's going to reflect it's going to that. Come out. And yeah. if you're generous, it's going to reflect that as well. So I really find that fascinating with your explanation on relationships. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm always curious about these topics. That's why we created this show, Migrate to Wealth, which is wealth is five dimensions. Your mind, your body, your relationship, then your money. Yeah. And above all, your impact. Right? Kind of like it's a way I think about my life. But hey, dude, you and I, I have a feeling could talk for another two hours. This is why I love <laughs> podcasting, man. I'm like, the amount of conversation you and I can have in 40 minutes cramped in, what am I going to have yeah. this conversation where there's no distraction? 
So thank you again for your time, no. Dan. We're going to end this show with two questions, buddy. One is, you're in that moment right now. What is one advice you would give yourself to live your life more intentionally? Give yourself permission to fail. That would be what I tell myself. It's something that I grapple with every single day. Every single day, I, I don't do want to get out of Why do you think we don't? Why do you think we don't give ourselves permission? I don't think I have a great answer yet. Mm. I really don't. For me, I believe it's probably some childhood trauma that I'm having to deal with, whether that's coming up in the school system, whether that's something that happened on the playground when I was three or four years old. Yeah. I believe that a lot of our beliefs and ideology stems from that very young age and studies have been coming out showing <laughs> the impact that those first couple of years have right. on someone's life. So I believe that that's part of it. How I can recode myself to use computer speak is mm -hmm. still unknown, but it's an endless journey. It's an infinite journey, as Simon Sinek would say, to improve. And I think it's yeah. trying to not quit every single day and just wait for tomorrow. I can quit tomorrow, but I can't quit today. So Dan, last question, buddy, and I know you've thought about it. If you were given the choice to decide where the humanity could migrate tomorrow, where would it be? Where would it migrate? For me, it's migrating back to mother nature. It's getting back in nature. I think we are too bound to our telephones and bound to the roadways. A lot of people yeah. haven't gotten off the beat path, felt mother nature, felt the energy that is around us in this world. It's been tainted. I would say it's been shunned a little bit. And I think people need to start migrating outside and quieting their minds because amazing ideas, amazing breakthroughs happen when the mind is quiet. Love that, Dane. Thank you again, buddy. On that note, where can people find you and Chris's work? Yeah. If people want to reach out to me, I'm active on LinkedIn. Just a simple name search will pop up. If you want to look into our work at Peak Prosperity, Dr. Martinson, you can visit the website, peakprosperity.com. Chris is active on Twitter at Chris Martinson or at Peak Prosperity. And then we have a YouTube channel at Peak Prosperity as well, where we post everything and everything that's going yeah. on around the world. And I would recommend checking out Chris's newsletters. I definitely would recommend that genuinely because mm -hmm. that is a wealth of information. And you can find that information at peakprosperity.com. You know, I'm a big fan of Chris. So if I'm pushing him, I'm not pushing him, I'm pushing his work. His work is amazing. <laughs> so take a look into that. Of course. Guys. No, awesome. and thank you so much. You, you mentioned the books as well. The Crash Course, which is just broke Wall Street Journal bestseller list and Prosper are the two main books from Dr. Martinson that have been impactful on me, impactful on you, Socket, as you've talked about yeah. in this podcast. I'm grateful to have been able to study those. Definitely, man. You're blessed to work working directly with a guy. Dane, with that note, buddy, thank you again for taking the time. I know you're busy. Good luck with everything. Thank and you. I'm sure our paths will cross pretty soon. They certainly will. Thank you so much. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.